This is Bumping Into, where we have interesting conversations with people from all walks of life. Hi everybody, welcome to Bumping Into. I am your host, Francis Populin, and on this episode of the show, we are bumping into former AFL star, Andrew Raines. Andrew is the son of Jeff Raines, a very famous Richmond Premiership player, Andrew himself has a stellar record. He has spent time, of course, with Richmond, then the Brisbane Lions, and also the Gold Coast Suns. So Andrew is well-experienced and well-qualified to be talking about all things AFL, along with his new program, uh, a one-on-one football coaching program. We are going to go right into a whole bunch of things. Um, I took this opportunity to ask questions that I'd always wondered about the insides of an AFL club or the insides of a professional AFL player. So we're going to be talking about things like the type of training, the intensity of the training, diets, nutrition, you know, are they looking at biohacking or are they still sticking with the mainstream high carbs sort of format of, of diets? We speak about the differences uh Andrew's been fortunate to be part of several clubs um, and obviously that, that, that's quite a unique insight to see the differences across three different levels of clubs over his playing career. So we're going to talk a bit about that. We're also going to go right through to retiring, how to transition to retiring, what that's actually like. And then we're going to talk about coaching the next generation of uh, players, up-and-coming players. It's a great episode, a lot of information, a lot of insight, straight into the world of a professional AFL player who then went on to do coaching and other things. So I'm really stoked to be able to bring this one to you. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So let's go straight into the conversation with Andrew Raines. Hi, Mark. G'day, Andrew. How are you going? Good, buddy. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really good. Thanks very much That's for good. your time. No, no worries. Mate, what I wanted to do, um, I wanted to go a little bit into your your beginnings into the, into yep. the AFL and then end yep. up on a few broad AFL-type questions around the, yeah. you know, the lifestyle, the training, and, and you yeah. know, the diets and all the rest of it. Yeah, all um, good. So, well, let's go back to where you grew up, basically. Where, where was it that it all started for yourself growing up as a kid? Um, yeah, so mate, obviously, um, dad being in the AFL, VFL back then, um, Brisbane Bears were started in 1987. Um, I was one year of age, moved up to Melbourne, uh, from Melbourne to the Gold Coast. Um, and it all started for me at a little club called Palm Beach Club, which I'm actually at now. So we did this amazing life. You did the full 360 back here and, um, doing a bit of work for the local club here. And, um, and obviously my own private coaching and do a lot of my sessions out of out of Palm Beach and live pretty much about a stone's throw away. So it's, um, yeah, great part of the world, but yeah, it's all, all where it started for me. So y- your dad played, your dad was part of the 1980 Richmond Premiership yeah. team, wasn't he? Yeah, correct. That's right. Yeah. So when you come into the game, does that, having that behind you, do you think that that creates either, does it help pave the way or does it create extra pressure? Um, it sort of it helps. It's, it's a bit of a twofold thing. You sort of feel like you're, um, you know, you've got a bit of a foot up in terms of um, having a, a father to play the game, being able to sort of coach you through the physical and mental side of the, of the game. Yep. Um, but then also too is the the added expectations that you know you're always compared to him, um, and then and then coming through, it's, you know, whether you're going to make it or whether you're not, and, and whether you're going to be the same type of player or you know live up to his sort of um, his levels and such a champion player he was. You know, not yeah. to me. People have, um, have done what he's done in, in, in his career, so it's sort of a it was a 
probably looking back on it, um, there was a lot of pressure. But um, when you're in it, you sort of probably you just got your head down and bum up and ready to work and not really worried about your last name. You just you, you sort of know no different. So for me, that was that was sort of uh, my mindset. And that was always the destination. Like you never, you know, it was always as a kid, this is what I wanted as a career footballer. Pretty much, yeah. I grew up with um, just a foot in the hand, really. And um, Dad asked, I remember going back to sort of where it started for me before. Um, I remember, you know, he sort of think, there was no old kick back then. I remember Nick, my old brother, started playing around sort of seven or eight years of age, and I'm three years younger. And he said, oh, I wanted to play with him. He said, oh, you're a bit young. There's no, you know, it only starts at under eight. And I remember, um, I think I could start around five or six. So I started at five or six and had three years in the under eight. So I sort of went straight into it. And ever since then, I just you know, fell in love with it. And, you know, do you remember turning up at Richmond the first day? Is that is that a daunting thing to be like, you know, you've, you've, got the, you've got the gig, you turn up and it's your first day at this new club, you know, big expectations. It's a, it's a, it's a massive club, even though it was part of the, the um, you know, they were chasing a premiership for so long, for so many years. And is that, did you feel that weight? Um, yeah, I suppose a, a bit of a, I don't know, when you, again, when you're reflecting, you're a bit older, you, you sort of look down and go, wow, like I went down as a 17-year-old, I was a yeah. bottom age, back then you get drafted at 17, so I was still, I just finished school, was in the, funny enough, that's the week of this recording, or as I'm speaking at school, he's waking, it was um, 19 years ago for me, and, wow. um, you know, it, it, as soon as um, school finished, I, I got on a, on, a, on a plane and went to Melbourne, obviously got called out in the draft and, and the father-son um, back then. And, but I could, I could go, um, you know, at, at, a, at, a, at 17 years of age, you could, could get drafted. So as long as you're born, um, as long as you're turning 18 before June 30th, the year before, I think it is, sorry, the year after, um, you could you could get drafted. So I put my name in the in the draft and, and obviously Richmond wanted me and the father-son connection there, which was great. Um, and then rocked up day one. And again, like, you're sort of just taking your stride, but you sort of, yeah, you always want to push up and play against um, you know some of the names that you, you grew up you know supporting with Richmond and you know I remember Matthew Richardson walking over to me and you know, Rich was obviously a really good friend of mine and and, and played a fair bit of footy with him. Um, but at the time he was obviously a superstar and he rocks up and introduced introduced himself as Matthew and you're like, <laughs> yeah. I know who you are type thing. It's um <laughs> it's a, it is a bit daunting and he's just another person. Yeah, they're just people at the end of the day. But I suppose it takes about. I always say this too. Your first, it, it takes people probably different times or different periods to be able to adjust. I remember my, I think it was about still to my fifth or sixth game. I reckon, and again, it might take a few people a bit longer, but I, I remember still looking around, going far out. I'm, I'm playing against you know the likes of you know James Hurd or Robert Harvey and, and these yeah. top players, and you know they're sort of the older brigade when I was coming through. And you look around on the ground, you have you get a bit starstruck, and then you look around, going, "Geez, I'm on the MCG." For example, you're looking around the grandstand, but then. After that, and a bit of maturity sort of kicks in, and, and a bit more sort of confidence, and you feel like you belong out there. You sort of just know no different. You just play, and, and I think that's um, for me sort of you know happened in my sort of second, third year. I took that on board, and and um, and sort of ran with it. Because it definitely would be daunting. I mean, these are heroes you've seen on TV, and now you're expected to go up against them. Um, you know, that's that would be very daunting for the first year, I would imagine. So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was um, that was a bit of a. A moment where you sort of sit back and reflect a bit now, and um, and then in you know sort of my second third year, I um became runner up at in, in the best and fairest at Richmond and um and the rising star that year, and then went to it was a big year for me. You know, two thousand six, I went over to um 
to Ireland to play um, international rules for, for Australia. Got fortunately I was selected. I was one of the youngest players on tour, and I was touring with the likes of um, Barry Hall and Justin Fletcher, and um, you know Fev, the infamous Fev story that was that was going around then, and Fev, Fev was over in that trip, and then was fortunate enough to um, to room with Michael Voss. It was his last um, ever game, really. He wanted to play international rules before he finished, and um, got to room with him and being a Queenslander and looking up to a legend of legend not only Queensland but the sport um, and rooming with him again only in my second third year I'll just look back and go geez that's just that's just crazy but yeah. um, it's something that sort of just at the time I just you know adapted to and, and yeah it was amazing well you're quite fortunate too because you've you've had the multi-club experience so you know you've started mm. at the the heart of it Victoria Richmond a big yep. team and then you've gone up to um, to Brisbane and then you've gone to the Suns so you know in terms of experiencing things you've experienced the different cultures the changing teams and i'm curious because did you notice a big difference in in many aspects going from club to club was there walking out of one door and into the next going oh geez i, I didn't expect this is how this would be here yeah it was uh, i often think about that not like it's great to be a one club player that's the, the pros of being a one club player and if you go on and play you know many games and become a club legend it's, it's just incredible but the same time, too, is I, I reflect back and go, I was lucky enough to play in, you know, three clubs and two of those clubs obviously well-established in Brisbane and Richmond and, and premiership clubs and, you know, the likes of, um, you know, um, some of the club legends that you sort of, you know, get to sort of mingle with and yeah. and play with, um, you know, passion, play you know, in front of passionate supporters. That's a, that's an incredible experience. And I think, too, playing, in, you know, in, a, in, a, in Queensland, which is my home state, and, and a, a non-dominant AFL starting that, but then a real traditional and one of the biggest clubs in the league, if not, you know, biggest sporting clubs in Australia is in Richmond. Just an incredible experience. So, yeah, it, was, um, it, it, grew, it grew me as a, as a, not only a player, as a person, and then now, um, you know, I feel like I'm quite worldly. Yeah, <laughs> worldly yeah. as a, as a, as a, as a uh, football person. A- absolutely, yeah, definitely. That's a, it's a, it's a lot more ex- experience builds character and that, and that, you know, then becomes knowledge that you pass on. I, I mm. remember even when I'm sure it was when Lynch left the Suns to go to Richmond, and I remember reading a comment that stuck with me, um, and he said something along the lines of, "I noticed the difference straight away walking in the doors. The hallway was lined with all of the legends and all of the the past players, and I got an immediate sense of responsibility that I I must perform at the next level now." And it, it struck yeah. me that because I thought, geez, that's an interesting thing that obviously comes with time and history yeah. that the Suns, you know, they obviously don't, they're, they're struggling or don't have the time behind them yet to create that feeling for players. No, it's spot on. And again, literally, I'll probably sort of, um, you know, back up his words. Again, I don't know the exact quote, but, um, you know, working, playing and working at the Suns for, Sort of six years and, and being involved in the club, and I'm pretty passionate about the um, Gold Coast football, and, and hopefully the Suns can go really well in the future. But he's, he's right; it's sort of you walk in and, and being a draftee, you must go into that club, and no one of those sort of want to, you know, unfortunately, sort of leave. I don't sort of. There's two sides to it, so I get the players want to find a big club and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, too, is a good mate, incredible opportunity at these startup clubs in the Giants, the Suns, or even a yep. just a non-dominant football you know, sort of state in Queensland, even the Lions, for example, but. Um, to play and try and build your own culture and absolutely, um, yeah, become you know, a hero. So I, think, yep. I think that's yeah. I think that they've probably got to change that mindset. But Lynchy's right too. On the flip side, you just don't. You sort of go in. It feels a bit. Uh, what's the word? It sort of feels a bit sort of 
Um, oh, look, there's no, there's no, the, the, the feel of somewhere in the atmosphere of walking into your premiership cups around you and club legends, you know, walking to Richmond, you've got Francis Burks, um, or, you know, Jack Dye statue out the front and things like that. And it's just totally different feeling. So, um, you realise you're representing a you know massive club, so it's, it is a different um, mindset. Yeah, but that you, you you bang on with, and I've thought that with the Suns is they need to play on that. You know, you're you're the pioneer. You're here to create yeah, the legends. Exactly. You're not yeah. turning up in the footsteps of others. You're blazing no. the trail, and yeah. that's a unique yeah. opportunity. You can't get yeah. that everywhere, yeah. and yeah, exactly. they're still in a position to do that. Yeah, and I think the Lions were able to do that. You know, like yeah. you could argue yeah. they had the Fitzroy background, but the Bears, and that's what. I think my dad's proud of that, that he pioneered the Bears and they became, obviously they moved, went up the road and became the, the Brisbane, Bear, uh, Brisbane Bears, the Gabba and then the Lions, but they pioneered that and then, and then you know, what the what those guys did in the early 2000s was incredible and now you walk yeah. into the Lions. It's not quite like Richmond, but, you know, geez, it's got some, um, it's got some flavour and it's got some, um, you know, some backbone in the, in the history. Yeah, for sure. The, the, the one thing I've wondered, the training that at a top tier level, I mean, how how brutal if you were to come from being drafted, for example, you know, you've come into the AFL. Is the level of training day by day is that a huge shock compared to what you would have been doing the year before? Yeah, massively. You know, it's, they used to throw us in the deep end. I think these days they don't. They look after they because of all the soft tissue. Oh, sorry, not soft tissue. More the stress injuries in backs and um, you know. Um, you know, little stress fractures in feet or legs or whatever. They um, they really pull back the young guys in, in their first pre-season. Um, but it was the opposite with us. They had the minds. It was a bit old school. I think I was on the back end of that old school approach where they were trying to get more into us because they knew we were trying to play catch-up. So I remember my first pre-season at Richmond, the same day as I said before, that Richard came over and introduced himself as Matthew and I was just in awe of you know some of the players that I grew up you know barracking for and, Supporting and, and watching, and um, and we did eight eight hundred that day, eight eight hundred meter sort of time trials, and that was horrendous. Um, I remember just you know nearly wanting to sort of um, you know vomit and, and all sorts of things afterwards. But um, and then went in for a, for a, a massive boxing session um, straight afterwards with you know boxing with the likes of Wayne Campbell and Kane Johnson and those sort of tough players of Richmond back then, and um, and, and getting the, the living daylight punched out of you, and just it was that old school sort of approach. It was like welcome to AFL football. Never forget, was sleeping better um, my first night of training. So there, there's an example of my first ever day where these days they'd be lucky to sort of you know complete two or three k's in in a, in a session. So um, I mean they get it there over time, but it was a bit of a different approach. And is it is it are they do these guys doing? Five day of training is it is it that intense? It's basically like turning up to a normal job, but your job is just to train every day. Yeah, it's probably again with the training wise, it's probably a bit of a different approach now when the young guys come through. They've actually got it. They're so professional, the kids these days, and no wonder they put so much time. It's probably more of mental. Um, they put more mental pressure on the kids these days. Where when I started, I remember it was it was obviously still full time, and, and again I was back into that old school. Sort of approach early 2000s where it, it was professional, but nothing like what it was now is now. But it's probably more so, you know, you train, but then you sort of you, you in between days weren't loaded with much. You might come in, you know, do weights or a flexibility session, bit of yoga, or whatever, and, and that probably. But these days they're doing so many meetings or they're doing sort of like development sessions with, you know, their mindset or nutrition or whatever it is. And it's just it's fully loaded, so you can understand that there's a lot to get their heads around. So yeah. we're probably more physically. Combative and or or, um, or um, you know sort of 
introduced to a program more physically, but then I think these days they're probably more mentally introduced to it. And and jumping on the nutrition because that's one thing I've often wondered with these the, the, the players, how how strict you know does the team does the club say to them look this is the diet this is what you're eating this is this this is that is it right down to every meal that these guys it's all calculated exactly or, or yeah is it a- it, it, yeah it is it's, it's a bit of both it's probably a bit of a misperception I'll probably probably I can open the lid on a bit in my mind you probably it's going to be maybe a bit surprised my answer but. I still believe that they're not quite at the level in terms of what they do. It's very generic, and, and I'm probably fortunate. My wife's in nutritional health, so she's in she's a, a nutritionist herself, and I was pretty lucky that my last couple of years she, she finished that degree, and I was sort of following a fair bit of her stuff. And um, I had to go and seek sort of more private stuff for her to get actually more individualised, specific stuff. Like a lot of the sports drinks these days are um, you know loaded with sugar and yeah. all this stuff that can really be heavy on your on your stomach and your acidity levels. Yeah. Um, so I found that really, really, um, you know, sort of a it wasn't it wasn't beneficial at all for me. So I changed to something like coconut water, where there's more of a natural sort of electrolytes in the system, and adding that probably going a bit more depth here is something I'm, it yeah. sounds like I'm passionate about. But um, yeah, then I add some salts in that, and to make sure I'm getting my sodium levels right. So I, I was very probably speaking to someone who was who was, who was very right into individualised. Now don't get me wrong, they're, they're on to it, but at the same time, too, I feel like it's very. Um, g- generic based, you know. Yeah. I think an article came out the other day where a nutritionist or sorry, a dietitian came out and said they load and full up of pizzas and chips and stuff like that after games. Where I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I'd actually put. You don't really want to eat healthy food after you don't feel like it, but I'd try and eat something a bit more sort of healthy, which was high in fat or whatever that you got. You sort of a bit of your junk, you know, kick out of for the same time too. As you, that's your most important hours to recover, twenty four to forty eight hours after. Yeah. So I still feel like there's a bit of a bit of way to go, but at the same time, too, I know what you're saying. We got smashed with skin folds, um, trying to get them under. There was a lot of anxiety around skin fold tests, which I don't know they do anymore. Oh. Um, and you just end up in the fat club if you're overweight, uh, over your skin folds to, to a certain level, and you just have to do extra sessions to get that down. Coming back from pre-season, so those things were really, really strict. And then, yeah, you would go on it. Everything is you're right. Everything's calculated. Everything's carb in, carbs in, carbs out, type of thing. Calories in, calories out. I should say so. That's um that's they're very strict on that sort of stuff, but I feel like there's a fair bit to go in, in terms of individualised specification stuff. Yeah, no, you're right, and I've often thought that too. I mean, especially now where you've got, you know, guys like Dave Asprey and who who did have the bulletproof diet and all the rest of it, where yeah. they're pushing the opposite approach, and then when you see people do it, they're getting big gains and they're getting that edge and they 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 are yeah and less information. Yeah, I know Gary Ablett. Gary Ablett when I rocked up the Suns, he was doing the paleo sort of diet, and that was the, the club would never, you know, they're a bit more sort of um again a bit more generic based. Um, they yeah. would never probably prescribe it to a younger fellow, but Gaz knew what he's obviously doing. His, his record speaks for himself. And again, I was a bit more that way inclined to it. Probably I wasn't paleo, but I was very sort of um you know sort of more you know less less grains and yeah. and things like that. Where I'd light up more with you know sort of more carbohydrate vegetables and sweet potato and instead of more white carbs I'll be adding more sort of um, more LGI stuff so that was something I was sort of, yeah you're right it's probably it's, it's getting out there more but it's probably more individual the individuals probably will seek a bit more um, you know things things to help themselves so and you're always looking for that edge as a player too like I, I don't want to I don't want to do everything in my teammates or competitors do. I want to do something different that's going to give me another percent that I'm, I'm going to be better than I'm at so yeah. it was something else I took on board which is it? Yeah, and and on that, um, I listened to um, is it Tom McDonald from Melbourne talk about his carnivore diet, and yep. how that completely changed his recovery times, and 
his his speed and his strength, and all the benefits yeah. he got from that, and and while going against what he was being told, come home and eat pasta and rice and grains. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's again, it's um, it's, it's, yeah, there's a whole uh, probably could spend a whole another episode on that, and, and probably yeah. speaking to to the right people in in that sort of field. But it's um, it's it's an interesting topic, which is um, you're right. Yeah, chasing the one the one percent extra. Um, I I bumped into a um one of the guys that works with the Australian Institute of Sport, um particularly around the water sports, and and he was we were talking about uh, supplements and diets and you know things like sleep monitors and um and he said oh for every, every day I'm getting people come in and they're saying we we should buy this gadget we should buy this ring we should buy this, mm. and he said to me he goes you know all these young people are coming in they're chasing that one percent. But none of them are actually really busting a gun on the ninety-nine percent, which is what's going to make the big difference. Correct. And yeah, it, yeah. And yeah. It, it was interesting approach that he was all about. Just go back to the basics and keep pushing and pushing. You can worry about the one percent when we can't push you any further. Once you've done that, well, it's the tip of the iceberg stuff. Um, and I talk about my young with my private coaching um, business at the moment, and actually being hands-on with it with a lot of the coaching with kids around sort of fourteen to seventeen years of age. Um, um, it's a critical age for these teenagers where they think, so I'll, I'll give an example. They, you talk about one percenters or whatever, and um, this is a tiny bit different in terms of one percenters, but just getting, as you said, the fundamentals right, is that a lot of these kids think they're going to go and lift huge weights and get big muscles. And I think it's the world of Instagram and Snapchat and whatever these kids are on, is they're looking at other people thinking, oh, I've got to have big muscles and that's where I've got to play, I've got to look like this, blah, blah, blah. And they might be doing five, four or five weight sessions a week, but they might only be doing one skill session. Now, if you flip that and you go do four or five skill sessions and maybe one weight session and more probably body weight stuff just to get yourself going, get the fundamentals and the foundations right and then build from there. But again, you know, training over and over repetitive stuff to get your hands right or do what a Lockie Neal does, I reckon, week in or day in, day out to get your stuff right is it's not sexy and it's not exciting, but it's the, it's the, it's those sort of 99% as you said before that you know is going to work. And that's what these kids have got to change their mentality about. Um, and that's my job at the moment, trying to change that and get that right. I'll, I'll give the example that I went to Richmond at 69, 70 kilos. And um, I feel like I, I obviously worked on my foundations and skills coming through. And I obviously would get a lot better when I got there. But at the same time, too, is then the weight, um, the weights and all that kicked in 18, 19, 20. And I'll put on in the next two or three years, I'll put on, you know, 15 kilos and wow. became, you know, um, you know, I had all the muscles and that in the end. But, I didn't, I didn't need that at 14 or 15. I needed to actually get myself drafted by doing the fundamentals right. And you ask recruiters, what are they going to look at? They're going to look at um, people that do the, the fundamentals right. They're, they're clean hands. They've got taken kick. Good skill you know, set. Both sides of the bodies and they've got the skill set. You can work on the muscles later. So, um, that's a good that's, point. That's sort of back to probably more of a – it's relevant to what you're saying, but it's probably more of a focus of um, what kids have got to focus on these days and probably more relevant to what I'm working on at the moment. And our team's – Looking into, I don't know if you want to use the word alternative things, but things like, you know, hypnosis and all those other little things that tend to work really well for some people to, you know, a lot of it is belief, you know, like yeah. Cameron Ling used to always, when he used to do more of the commentary, he would often make the thing of saying that that X player is a star. He just doesn't know it. And that's why he's yeah. not going after the ball as hard as he could. Yeah. And do yeah. they do they do they teams that you know of? I don't, are they I don't doing think it's that? again, mate. I don't think it's teams. I think it's these individuals, individuals that seek outside out. private, yep. you know, sort of um, specialists. But again, my I reckon I, you know, sort of etched out a, a, another four or five years in my career because I was at the crossroads at Richmond at 
22, um, you know, I had the world at my feet really. I was, you know, sort of a, and coming up sort of middle of my three big three contract and after the rising star and second the best and fairest in representing Australia. And I think I got 50 games in sort of at the age of 20. So everything was looking pretty rosy for me. And then this massive knee injury where I dislocated my patella and missed ongoing knee injuries related to that um, specific knee in the next two or three years. I played three games, I played 15 games, 15 AFL games in three years. So it's 25, 26. I was at the crossroads. And the game did a lot of changing around that sort of 2009, 2010 years, um, where it became that, you know, Parko and Hawthorne, how they were able to play that press and all that sort of stuff. So the game did change. So I was, I was probably at the crossroads. I felt like I still had a fair bit in me, but I got to sort of 30 and actually had a pretty good career in there. But that was based on me taking my own career into my own hands and actually developing like a... Um, like my own sort of private team behind me, really, yeah. my own sort of resources. So I had to send my wife as in nutrition, had a great chiropractor in, in Brisbane who was, um, you know, sort of very, um, you know, sort of open-minded and holistic in his approach and my structure and balance is right. I, I did some mental work. I was so, sought out a, a psychotherapist uh, to work on a lot of my stuff and a sports psychologist and performance specialist. Um, I did a lot of Pilates and, and, and stuff like that. So that was when Pilates wasn't cool. Now it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. um that was right at the, the start of it. So I had this whole team behind me, you know, and that's what I felt like. But that wasn't supported by the club. I had that's to go and do my own because you think of the time, as much as AFL is an incredible um, you know, industry and there's a lot of specialised people in, in coaching and the medical world or, or even the performance side, they can't cater for 44 blokes. So, yeah. again, so there's not 44 coach, coaches there for 44 players. You need to be able to seek that out yourself and, and get better, especially when you're that sort of a, a bit of crossroads or the middle part of that list or the back end of the list. You've got to go out and, and do it yourself. So um, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I do. And you can see the players that he does do, doing it um, really well. Tuke Mill is a great example on the Gold Coast who does that. He's got a, a lot of people that he sees outside the club and I make the club happy with it because you know they're okay with it because obviously his form speaks um, you know sort of a lot of languages or yeah. a lot of words behind what he, he does. That's, and it's interesting because going back again um, to, to Cameron Ling, is he had a story about squash and how well, he had to in, improve his step-off speed. And, yeah. uh, and he, you know, he tried this and tried that, and someone said, you should go and try squash. And the club was like, no, 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 that's too high risk. Anyway, he went and did it on his own bat. And, and he um, yeah, yeah, changed his whole game, he reckons. Yeah, no, what if, what if I, actually, I was thinking that the other day with kids. Squash would be a really good game for their footwork and their – decision to be able to go up and back and uh, sort of conditioning element and obviously the hand-eye stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. You know, you've got to seek it out yourself and, and get better yourself because um, at the end of the day, it's, it's your career and and, um, and the minute you're not getting a kick or you're not performing, um, and that goes for any industry really, doesn't it? Um, you know, yeah. you're out the door. So, Well, that's the next thing, the retiring um, transition. So how does that work? I mean, you know, you, you know your contract's up or you announce that, okay, I'm done. That next week you don't turn up to that club. Is that is that a big thing to get your Quite head around? Quite an adjustment. I was fortunate enough. I probably when went from an injury early days. I um, at Richmond. I was fortunate. I had so many connections down there, and I formed a great relationship with one of my mates um, in Melbourne who ran a big property development company. So I, I sort of got my teeth around property early days, and it's a great game to be in. And especially when you're on a you know sort of good money and that in AFL to invest yeah. in the right. Areas and, and he said to me, go do your degree and if you're interested in property, um, you know, go and study it. So I went to university and studied it and did seven years. It took yeah. me seven years, but I was doing that the whole time in my back end of my career. And I finished, I think I finished only a day I retired. 
Um, so it took me sort of to 29, 30 to do and finish. By that time, I did a lot of growing and, and a lot of um, realisation. I realised I didn't want to go and just work for a property firm and be behind a desk my whole sort of life. And property is a great career where you can actually do a bit, you know, sort of depends on, on what level. You can do a bit here and part-time and, and, and for yourself. I've decided to sort of do that. I um, mean, I've got a good background in that and I've invested pretty well and got a few things on the go and, and, and that sort of kept me in good stead. But then I fell in love with um, developing and coaching and that was my last year at sort of the Suns when they got me on board to sort of do some on-field coaching and playing and uh, I fell in love with it. And Rocket and Marcus Ashcroft at the time offered me the job of um, heading up the Talent Academy as head coach of um, you know, a really important program to the, yeah. to the Queensland Development Program and also the Suns and um, I was fortunate enough I could transition that way and I still you know, sort of had, again, some property interest and then knew a bit about business and then decided to then, um, you know, form my own private coaching business, which I do today, one-on-one football, and I've been fortunate I've had that for three or four years now. Now it's full-time. So I've transitioned pretty well in comparison to, to you know, a lot of players and I've heard a lot of the struggles that people go towards and I, I really do understand that because if you don't have that goal, you don't wake up in the morning, someone's getting you out of bed and, you got to be somewhere. It's a lot easier to, you know, fall into, you know, that mental health side of things or, you know, what, what am I good for? Because you've been at such highs. Every AFL game you play or every game you play, you're on a high, you know. You, 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 you're young men with high levels of testosterone and competitiveness and all that sort of stuff that you, you're you constantly yeah. training. You're fit, you're happy, you're, you're around your mates. And then as soon as that goes and as I said before, the money's good and then it goes to zero dollars and, and you've got to find your own work and have something to back you up and, not there that can be quite you know it's sort of debilitating for a lot of people so um i was fortunate but i do um, understand how so many pies have suffered and obviously now as a you know you've done coaching um and and i know you do one-on-one coaching and this might be a hard question for you to answer but something i've always wondered about coaching is uh, tell me well the two things i've got for you is one of them is that if you look at the approach guys say nathan buckley versus stewie jew they've I don't know either of them, but they they very different personalities. Yeah. And if you're a player, oh, you 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 know, is it a thing of where you sort of need well you, that that one approach? You know, if you if you ended up at Nathan Buckley's team, and you know, I would expect he's going to be very very hard and and uh, and very tough. Where I feel like someone like Stewie Jew is going to be more about nurturing and and creating that person. Uh, yep. Along a, you know a slower path, but it's going to be more a gentle massaged approach. Yeah. Do you find that that it's the, you know sometimes the wrong player with the wrong coach can be all that's wrong? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, and it's just so hard. I understand coaching now that I've, I've, I've put my hat on as a coach, and I, I mean to be totally honest, I, I didn't have the best coaches, and I, I, I publicly say this. It doesn't worry me. I didn't know. I don't think I had the best coaches coming through, and. I think I needed a really, a really good coach that, if you've got a coach that backs you in, you can, I'll, I'll use the example of Shane Edwards, for example. Shane's a, um, a player that I played with at Richmond and always had really good talent. Uh, lacked maybe a bit of confidence early days, a bit of size, a bit of you know, physicality stuff. And probably if he had the wrong coach behind him, he could have gone, you know, sort of any different direction. Again, he was always talented, but a lot of players with talent. But I did hear stories when I left Richmond and I didn't, discover this myself, someone told me in the end, I don't believe it, is that apparently Damien Harwick said to him, Shane, what are you worried about when he went through a bit of these, not crossroads, or I shouldn't use that word again, probably just sort of a bit of form fluctuation early days of his career. He said to him, Shane, you're not going to get dropped. We're going to play you. You're a 10-year player. You're, you're going to be a long player of this football club. Just go out and play. 
I thought, oh, shit, I would love for a coach to say that to me. Um, And maybe he needed that, where I was probably more, coaches maybe knew that I was super, I was very intrinsically motivated. So I I would need someone to give me a challenge or give me a bit of a kick up the bum to to get me into gear. So maybe they knew that with me. That's why maybe a coach never said that to me. But although it was incredible for Harwick to back him in and he became the player that he became because he a coach backed him. And yeah. I see so many players now that get the list that come out of the competition and they're just not backed, they're not loved. And that, that, they don't, I don't think coaches need to apologise that. That's just the way it is. You know, you can't, you can't love 44 players or how many on the list. You're going to obviously have a certain warming to, to certain players. But I feel like it's a very reductionistic approach to, to coaching. It, it, it lacks a bit of sort of holistic approach in terms of once they've got it in for a player, I feel like the coaches in the AFL can still get better at, um, at developing and in and, and terms of giving players a chance and, and realising, shit, he's only 21 years of age. What if we just, yeah. you know, massage, as you said, massage him a bit more and, and get behind him and say, mate, you're going to be here and we back you and we, we rate you instead of actually going, no, you're no good and that's why you're out of the team and focusing too much on their weaknesses. So I think there's a fair bit, bit to go there and, um, and again, I, I, I've witnessed that a lot in my career. So, um, you know, that, that's probably the, the challenge of coaching. It, it would be a hard gig. It's a, it's a high-pressure game. And when you're under pressure, you, you, one, make mistakes and you don't think as clearly as you could. Correct. Um, yeah. And, you know, and that when you look back at the 2017 Richmond side, I mean, those guys hit the field. They looked happy as Larry. They were relaxed. Yeah, they were they comfortable. They enjoyed it. And then yeah. when you saw um, one of the, I think, I, don't, oh, I can't remember what year it was, but one of the years where that recently – um, may have even been last year or the year before that they you could tell there was that tension and there was an expectation yeah. and yeah. that relaxed enjoyment had gone and that would gone. alter your decision process yeah. so much yeah, which yeah. you know it's hard to do which then I've always wondered is when you're watching this say someone like Luke Hodge uh, as a commentator he he can articulate the game very well he's watching it as an observer so he's got no pressure he purely can see it for what it is and he'll point out and say oh well this side really just needs to change this. And if they do that and do this, the game can come back. And I've often thought, you know, obviously to look at something as an observer only, there's no weight on your opinion, no, no consequence that you have to think about. If he was to walk downstairs and say to the, to the, to the players, purely hypothetical and say, look, yeah. this is what you're no, doing. You're doing this, you're doing yeah. that. Yeah. It'd be so interesting to see, it would be, wouldn't it? it? Yeah, the effect. Because yeah. is it is it yeah. purely that he's got none of that pressure, none of that tension on him, and he can well, see it for yeah. what it is? Well, I think the best coaches, that's what they can do. And I've heard stories of Clarkson and and uh, and and coaches, you know, Hardwick and, and coaches like that. And they all probably had their moments where they've been under pressure, and Hardwick and Clarkson have been. But yeah. the ability to be able to just, you know, get the group up and get the group, you know, there's nothing to worry about. Your boys are still in there. You know, that just comes from self-belief. You got to have the right talent, so it's a mix of a lot of things. But yeah, coaching's a it's a it's an art, and um and I think especially these days, you know, I used this example a bit recently when talking about trying to give um, this new generation players feedback. Um, and it sounded like again, it wasn't the inner sanctum at, at North Melbourne, but when David Noble, I feel a bit sorry for him. Apparently, in the early, you know, I think it was around around seven or eight, he, he went and told a few home truths to a few players, and they didn't like it, and that upset the apple cart. Oh, and right. since then, he, his demise, um, you know, was sort of unfolding. Um, purely got a, a lot of players offside, and that's a really hard one. You know, like it's, I think players still need to be told the truth and 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 laid them the law a bit. But this new generation's a totally different kettle of fish, and, and yeah. they need to be um, 
I dealt with a bit differently. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, definitely. It's it's massive, massive difference now in oh, even dealing with people in society. It's so different to yeah, being exactly able to have a laugh world. and not think anything more of it. You know, uh, now yeah. you've got to question what you say, how you say it. So it's yeah, it's uh, a changing environment. So. In terms of what you're doing now, tell me if this is wrong. You've got 180 odd coaches on board around Australia. Correct. That's yeah. that's incredible. That's a obviously that's a, a lot of um, headaches to manage and you know big operation for you <laughs> to coordinate. But in terms yeah, of um, the reach that you have and the difference that you're making, that's a that's an outstanding. Um, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's, it, so they all like the subcontractors, and it's not a huge. For some coaches, they might get one session every couple of weeks or, or, or some coaches get you know sort of up to 10 sessions a week so it all depends and they're, they're subcontractors under my um, banner so one-on-one football so it's an online platform that connects coaches with with players um, or footballers around the country I'll say that in that terminology um, or that summary of what we do um, that's probably more what we started as now we're actually just a, a platform that connects elite coaching with anything so with 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 developing coaches with players with schools with um, football clubs to be able to give them insights into into sort of elite level coaching so um you know we're, we're developing online platform um that, that connects the coaches but also so we've now got resources in in uh in our in our um in our platform where you can you know look up drills and and insights to um to uh, to coaching resources so we're growing uh we're growing to robust business that's um that's Come through COVID and, and probably come out the other side um, with its challenges, but we're um, you know we're sort of we're growing and, and we're, we're we're getting stronger and more reach around the country, so it's very exciting. Yeah, oh look, it's, and it's good for the sport. It's great for for AFL to keep growing. You know, the the, the more that this sort of stuff happens, the better the sport grows. The bigger it gets, the more followers. Oh, exactly. the, the, everyone yeah. wins from those sort of things that you're doing, and then and especially. You know, having that personalised approach, like you were saying, not forty odd guys, you know, trying to do something. It's it's things are very different. Uh, I know if when I was young, if I had the ability to do more things one on one or smaller groups, yeah. it wouldn't yeah. have been as intimidating, and I would have been more involved. No, in you're right. And it's just a balance. You know, you still got to have your club training or your squad training, but the the idea grew. I mean, it's not a groundbreaking idea. It's just putting it all together. What I've done, but it's um, it's. It's the ability to be able to connect with a person of your, someone you sort of speak about coaching for that you really like, and, and the parents probably too. Parents are a huge, huge thing to our business too because they want to feel like their, their kids have been nurtured in, in the right way, and they feel like they may, you know, fall between the, the cracks if there's you know forty kids are training on a yeah. Thursday night, but then they go to a one-on-one session and they've got you know that that extra sort of connection to the game, and that's helping them on weekends. So. That's sort of what we do, and, and yeah, very proud of that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and the confidence building. You know, take a take a skillful, shy kid and give him a bit of confidence, and his whole world changes. And that oh, can only exactly. happen in one on one small group. Yeah, so, correct. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, especially in the middle oh, no of worries, this Saturday. Mate. That's unreal. I've, oh, good. Thanks, mate. Uh, thanks, mate. Bye. Thanks very much for sticking to the end of the show. If you would like to find out more, you can head over to bumpingintocomau There is more information about this episode. There's a link to the program, the one-on-one football coaching program that Andrew is running. Um, And you can find all past episodes across a whole range of topics as well. I have one favor. If you did like the episode and you think someone else would like it, can you please share it? It's the only way the show is going to grow and 
that's all that I'm really worried about is if that there is someone out there that you think would enjoy it, get some sort of interest out of it, take something away from it, please do share it with them. If you are able to leave a five-star review, I would be very, very grateful. Um, the way the, the system works is that basically only five-star reviews matter. So if you are able to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform, that would be really appreciated. But the main thing is just sharing it. If there's someone you think likes it, Thanks very much for stopping by and I will catch up with you on the next one.